You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, where we've been starting all this month. Um, Holiness for 2021, that's the title of the series that I started um, back at the beginning of the month. In some ways it seems like ages ago that um, I started that, just so much has happened in the last few weeks and I didn't know all of that was going to transpire in our country, in our world over, the, over those weeks. Um, and I presented back then on January 3rd what the Lord laid on my heart and I felt a little tentative because I, hadn't, I didn't really understand why the Lord was taking taking me in that direction, putting that, that message in my heart. But as I watched these events of the last few weeks unfold, it started to become clearer um, as to why the Lord would put this series on my heart. As we look around and we see this, the looming specter of what is to come into our lives probably in this coming year of 2021, I believe the reason that God put this on my heart is that he really cares about holiness above all else. All, everything that's happening around us that's what he really cares about in our lives is holiness. He doesn't really care who controls the Senate. He doesn't care who's in the White House. He doesn't care who's in the House of who's in control of the House of Representatives. He already knew, long before we did, what was going to happen there. And when I say he doesn't care about those things, what I mean is that he's not concerned. He's not worried about it. He's not anxious about any of these things. Remember that we've talked about his, his inscrutability. We don't know what he's up to. But, you know, we, we might not see his ultimate plan there in, all, in any of this. We don't have to understand, though. But we do have to do is love him and live in accordance with his word. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So what we must do is love him, live in accordance with his word, and trusting him to keep his promise that all things work together for good for those that love him and are the called according to his purpose. And so if we love him, we keep his commandments, and that leads to holiness. Um, I have another testimony again of how the Lord's using this series of lessons to work in my life. Um, last week, uh, you might recall that I told about how the devil was attacking me, my thoughts, and, my, and um, how to ask friends to pray for me. Um, through relaying that story, the Lord brought to my attention Another area which I've been greatly lacking in holiness. I won't go into a lot of detail, but I've been convicted of an area in my life that I've been, I would say, directly disobedient to God and what he's doing and what he's asked me to do. And I've formed some bad habits and ways of thinking that, um, that I need to, that, that need to be changed in my life. And I've been working with the Spirit's help to reverse those habits and ways of thinking. I had to ask forgiveness of someone who had been hurt by my disobedience and I have a lot of work to do to, to restore a relationship that's been damaged. So I would ask your prayers in that area. As you know, we've been starting in 1 Peter 1 and talking about the command that God's given for us to live in holiness. And we started, started out by exploring some of the following. What is holiness? What does it mean to say that God is holy? What does it mean to say that someone besides God is holy? And why should we be focused on being holy? And last week we talked about that. And looked at some of the passages where we're called to holiness, and we were able to see that those 
passages also contain practical advice on how to live holy. We're going to continue looking today at more passages where, where God has called us to be holy and, and the advice that he gives us and the, and the, the reasons behind it. It's, um, it's amazing when you start looking at it, how much of the Bible is really focused on, on teaching us to be holy. As I was meditating and praying over this week's lesson, I saw once again that God does call us to be holy. This, like I said, it's all over throughout the scriptures. But not only does he call us to be holy, he sent his son to show us the way. Jesus Christ is the only man who ever lived that perfect holy life. We would do well to follow his example. So I'm going to take some passages from, from finish up the passages that I didn't get to last week from the epistles and hopefully get to some of the passages where we're going to look at Jesus' life directly and, and how he... Um, and how he lived and, and showed us how to live that holy life. He set that example for us. So 1 Peter 1, we're starting in verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you, and Lord, I thank you. Thank you, God, for all that you are. Thank you for everything that makes you the amazing God that, that we serve. Lord, you're beyond anything that we can fully understand, but God, thank you for your word that helps us to understand in some small way who you are and your holiness. Lord, thank you for calling us to be holy. Thank you for putting this series of lessons on my heart, Lord, and I just pray that you will help me um, to, to bring them with clarity. And Lord, I just pray that you would just give me exactly what you would have me to say today and Lord just move me out of the way get Bill out of the way and just let it be your words thank you and I praise you for all that you are in Jesus name amen so I'd like to start with a review again of what we've covered over the last couple of weeks Um, while we're reviewing if you would turn to Ephesians chapter 4 that'll when we get to there you'll be ready Um, Ephesians chapter 4 so, first week, we looked at the definition of holiness. Um, holiness is the state of being holy, purity or integrity of moral character, freedom from sin, sanctity. Applied to the supreme being, holiness denotes perfect purity or integrity of moral character, one of his essential attributes. Applied to human beings, holiness is purity of heart or dispositions, sanctified affections, piety, moral goodness, but not perfect. And then we looked at the word holy, since it's a root word of holiness. Holy means properly whole, entire, or perfect in a moral sense. Hence, pure in heart, temper, or dispositions, free from sin and sinful affections. Applied to the supreme being, holy signifies perfectly pure, immaculate, and complete in moral character. A man is more or less holy as his heart is more or less sanctified or purified from evil dispositions. We call a man holy when his heart is conformed in some degree to the image of God and his life is regulated by the divine precepts. 
Hence, holy is used nearly, as nearly synonymous with good, pious, and godly. We talked about that difference in the definitions when applied to a man versus apply, being applied to God. And when we see, when we see that it's applied to, uh, to God, it shows the absolute perfection of the word. Because God is perfectly whole. He's in entire and perfect in a moral sense. There's nothing that can make him more holy or more moral or more perfect. His entire character is holy. Holiness describes him. He's perfectly pure, immaculate, without any sort of blemish, complete in moral character. And then we see that when we apply it to a man, it's a comparison to that standard. We see that a man is more or less holy based on how close he has become to that to the uh, standard of God, the more that he's conformed to the image of Christ. It's a lifelong process and one that I think we often neglect. Uh, we talked about how the, the words holy and holiness are used in the Bible over 500 times and always apply to God or the things of God, the people of God, um, the word of God. And we talked about how many times in the book of Leviticus, God says over and over, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy. And so on throughout that book. We talked about how God is holy because he is holy. It's who he is. It's what makes him God. God's people are to be holy because we're, we are associated with him. We carry his name. I remember um, at Pastor Bruce's funeral, one of the things that one of his grandkids said was that, Every time they would leave, he would say, you're a Bruce, remember that. And we're a Christian, remember that, right? We carry his name, and he desires his name and his people to be holy. We talked about how God's attributes are all combined into that one, one attribute that, that is called holiness. His holiness speaks of his perfections, his completeness, and all of his attributes. We talked about the prism and the white light separating out, but holiness is, is that white light and the prism separates out and it, you can see all of the different attributes that are contained in it. And we did a quick study of the attributes of God and we talked about how each of them helped us to understand a little bit more about who he is and his holiness. We talked about it, he's incomprehensible, he's self-existent, he's self-sufficient, he's eternal, he's infinite, he's omnipotent, He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's all-wise. He's immutable. He never changes. He's sovereign. He's light. He's inscrutable. He's faithful. He's true. He's good. He's just and righteous. He's merciful and gracious. He's love. And he's holy. And our holy God has called us to be holy, to be set apart, to be different, a light in this dark world, to be morally pure in a corrupt and perverse world, world conformed to the image of Christ. And then last week we talked about how we should respond to God's holiness we, when we're confronted with that picture of who God is, the amazing, incredible, and overwhelming essence of who he is, what should be our response. And we looked at Isaiah uh, and when he saw the vision of God in his glory, he saw him on his throne and how the seraphim continually cried out of, of, to the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah saw how the, the posts of the house trembled at the voice of, of the one that was crying out. 
and that one was crying out in submission to the to the all-powerful God. He was doing just doing homage to the to the all-powerful one. Isaiah was overwhelmed with the vision, and in the light of that holiness, he realized his and his nation's sin, his their unworthiness. They were people. He was a person of unclean lips, living in a people among a people of unclean lips, and he cried out and he acknowledged that sin. And then immediately, we talked about that. The Lord sent a seraph to clean, to cleanse his lips, not just his lips, but the iniquity that he hadn't even recognized that was behind his the sin that was the, at the root of his unclean lips. And then we saw that call, "Who will go for us?" And Isaiah responding, "Here I am, send me." So we broke that down into the five steps. First, recognize the holiness of God. Then recognize our own lack of holiness, our uncleanness. And then cry out to God, acknowledging that lack in repentance. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then we accept that cleansing that the Lord offers. He is faithful and just. Confess it and he takes that burden of sin away. And like Isaiah, he cleanses us from that unrighteousness. And then finally, number five is carry the message to others. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then said I, here I am, send me. Here am I, send me. And in carrying that message to others, we should be following his command to be holy. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We can't carry the message if we're not living what God has called us to do. And we looked at passages from Hebrews and Romans and Ephesians. Uh, we looked at Hebrews where it says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see God. If we want to see the Lord working in our lives and through our lives, we have to be living according to holiness. And we looked at Romans uh, 12, 1 through 5, and we're so familiar with that passage, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed, but be transformed so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We talked about the things in that passage that will help us with, in our pursuit of holiness, being in the word, renewing our minds. We talked about being humble and focusing on Christ as the standard. We talked about the importance of the body of Christ and keeping each other before the Lord, holding each other accountable, in, but, but not only that, but praying for each other and how when I sin, when I'm lacking in holiness, it affects you and how when you sin, it affects me. We're part of the body of Christ. So now today, I want to go into a couple more passages where the Lord has called us to be holy. If you're there in Ephesians 4, we're going to start in verse 17. <clears throat> and we're going to read through verse 24. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of, of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So as we look at this passage, we have to consider first that the Ephesian church 
was largely and overwhelmingly full of converted Gentiles. So Paul's admonishing them at the, at the start of where we started reading, not to walk as other Gentiles walk. Don't walk like everyone around you in the vanity of their mind. So everyone around them is walking in the vanity of their mind. They're caught up in their own pride and they, and it says they're ha they have their understanding darkened because of their pride, they're alienated from the life of God. They think they're wise, but the opposite is true. They're ignorant because of the blindness of their heart. And being past feeling, pastors taught on, on the different types of conscience that we can have, that people have. And Paul's describing those that, whose conscience is past feeling, that seared conscience that can no longer feel the pricks when they're sinning. Those who are past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness, that out-of-control indulgence of their lust. They've given themselves over to it, completely letting it rule in their lives. Paul could, have, Paul could have been describing our current American culture. It's, it, it's amazing to me when I look at it, and that's exactly what we're, that's, what, that's, that's how we're living right now. That's how the world around us is living. Then he turns the tables, though, and he says, but ye have not so learned Christ. You, you're different. Christ has not taught us to walk in the ways of the world. And the world around us certainly is not our standard that we should be measuring ourselves against. Our former conversation, our old lifestyle, is of the old and corrupt and lustful man. We are to put off that man, that old lifestyle. In our next passage, we're going to learn that that old man, not only we put him off, but he's dead. So we're going to learn about that in the next passage that we look at. But it seems like it's so easy to allow ourselves to still be influenced by the old man. Then he starts listing the truths that we learn in Christ. You have not so learned Christ, but here's what you have learned from him and are by being, ta uh, being taught of him. Verse 22, that we are to put off the former conversation of the old man, that old way of living, that old way of thinking that's corrupt to the core, corrupt according to the lust of the flesh. And then in verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And we know, we've been taught this over and over again, we know that renewing our minds comes through reading, meditation, and study of God's word. And then in verse 24, we're told to put on the new man. This new man is created after God, after the likeness of God, righteous and truly holy. The contrast is clear. There's no compatibility between the old and corrupt and lustful man and the new man created by God, righteous and holy. That's, that's how God... When we're saved, he creates that new man in within us. Uh, please turn to Romans chapter 6. We're going to go there next, and um, we're going to see how God, the old man is, is crucified. The old man is dead, and there's no reason that we should be, that we should be influenced by him any longer. As I've been working through this series of lessons, I've become so convicted on how easily I allow myself to sin, saying it's just my flesh. God knows I'm only human. It's such a wrong way of looking at things. God has created a new man, one that's righteous and holy. He's commanded me to put on that man. Yes, he does know that I'm only human, but that's why he created a new man for me to put on. And here in Romans chapter 6, Paul addresses that state of mind that we, that we can get into much more deeply. Starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? 
God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let no sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin, because we are not under the law, but under grace? Again, God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This entire chapter is so rich with truth in both the nature of holiness and the reasons for living in holiness. As I was studying this, the Lord just impressed on my heart that I need to go through and look at every verse because every verse is bursting in richness to help us in our quest to live in holiness in 2021. So starting in verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I love how Paul begins this chapter as he refers to the previous part of the letter we know that his letters didn't truly have chapters. They were, they were put there later to help us find our spot. So he's just continuing the thought he had in, at the end of chapter 5 where he's describing the saving grace of God. And he's talking about the amazing, the, the amazing grace that God has given to us, that unmerited favor. And then he says, shall we continue in sin that grace abound? And that strong and obvious answer follows. Verse 2 says, God forbid... How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Put that thought out of your mind. God forbid. How could you even say such a thing? We are dead to sin. 
If we're dead to sin, how can we live in it? In verse 3, 4, and 5. Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So Paul calls on the symbolism of, of burial in baptism. We're buried with him. We're baptized into his death. And just as he was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, he rose up in a, into a glorified body. So too, we are raised up, not yet into our glorified bodies, but we are raised up into newness of life. We are new creatures in him. The obvious conclusion is that if we are planted, buried in likeness to his death, then we must be raised up in likeness to his resurrection. Just as he rose a new man, so we have become new men and women at our salvation. Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Our old man is crucified with him. That means the old man is dead. The body of sin is destroyed. Dead and destroyed so that henceforth, from now on, from the time of our salvation, we should not serve sin. Verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Dead men don't sin. Don't you look forward to the day when there is no more sin? I know I do. But we can be working toward that day now. We may not be free from sin, but our old man is dead. And we have the new man living in us. And God has commanded us to be holy. And he wouldn't tell us to do something that we cannot do without it, with his help. Verse 8. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So now, because we believe that our old man is crucified and dead with Christ, we must believe that the other side of that is true as well, that our new man is alive. Our, we are alive in him. We're alive in Christ, and our new man is alive in us. Verse 9. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, Death hath no more dominion over him. Christ has been raised to die no more. So we, through our salvation, also die no more. Death's hold on us is gone. We don't fear the physical death because it's only passing from this life into the next. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Death, that old dead man, has no more dominion over us. No more control. That's what dominion means. It's control. It's power over us. There is no more power of that old man over us. Verses 10 and 11. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye your 
ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The death to sin is once at our salvation. The old man is crucified and dead. The living is ongoing, continual living unto God. It's a process of greater and greater conformity to Christ. As Christians, we shouldn't be committing the same sin over and over again. Instead, we should be always living unto God, moving closer and closer to his holiness in our lives. Do you see that? Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. And the other side of that coin, reckon yourselves to be alive unto God through Jesus Christ Jesus our Lord. If we, recognize, if we reckon ourselves to be alive unto God, we must be living holy to approach him. We know that we cannot approach him if we're not holy. He can, he can tolerate no unholy thing. So we reckon ourselves to be alive unto God and his holiness. So with all of that being said, verse 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Paul's saying because of all of this, that old man's crucified, the new man is alive, therefore don't let sin reign in your bodies. You see the decision that has to be made? You decide. I decide whether or not to allow sin to reign in your body or my body. I decide whether I'm going to sin. If we're allowing sin to reign in our bodies, we are obeying sin and all the lusts that go along with it. We are obeying sin instead of God. If ye love me, keep my commandments. We can say the following is true. You love the one whose commandments you keep. So are you obeying sin or obeying God? Do you love sin or do you love God? You cannot love sin and love God at the same time. Verse 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. He continues the concept that you and I decide what happens with our members. The command to not yield our members as instruments of unrighteousness, but unto God. That's what he gives that command. We have a choice. We decide how we're going to use our members. We are alive, and the new man lives in us. We should, therefore, be yielding our members to work righteousness, not for our own glory, but for God's. Verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Do you see that? Sin shall not have dominion over you. Shall not, I just wrote this out, shall not means shall not. If sin has dominion over you, it's because you've yielded to it. Not because it has dominion over you. You've given it, the, the, you've, you've allowed sin to have dominion over you, but it has no power. You've given it that power by yielding to it. What then? Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Again, 
as he started out this, as we started out this passage, warning against sinning because we're under grace. I'm thinking that must have been a, a prevailing teaching at the time, and I think even now. Grace is not a license to sin, but it's God's unmerited favor on us. We should be striving for holiness out of loyalty, love, and obedience to him. Verse 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? Here again, he's reiterating this, that we're showing, our, that we're showing ourselves to be the servants of whatever or whomever we are obeying, either sin unto death or obedience of God unto righteousness. Verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. But then, being made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. How thankful to God we must all be for what we were formerly in times past. We were servants of sin. But by turning our hearts to God and obeying from the heart the good news that was delivered to us, we were then made free from sin. Made free from sin. Sin has no more power over us unless, like we said before, we simply yield ourselves to it. But that is our choice. And it's never a necessary or unavoidable choice. We're, there's always, we know, that the Lord always provides a way out of every temptation. But now we are the servants of righteousness. Verse 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. Saying now is the time to stop yielding to unrighteousness, uncleanness, and iniquity and begin yielding ourselves servants of righteousness unto holiness. Again, it's our choice. The old man is dead. Why do we keep dragging him around, pretending that he's alive, using him as an excuse for our, our lack of love of God? Verse 20. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. He has one last contrast at the end of this chapter. When we were servants of sin, we were free from righteousness. Being a servant of sin and living in righteousness, like we said before, they're mutually exclusive. You cannot be a servant of sin and live in righteousness. The fruit of all the unrighteousness is death. But, verse 22, and I love the buts of the Bible. Verse 22, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, Ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The contrast is so clear. We are made free from sin, and sin has no power over us. Now we have fruits unto holiness. We have everlasting life to look forward to. No longer do the wages of sin, but we can rest in the gift of God, eternal life through our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. One thing that, that this passage from Paul doesn't go into great detail on is the futility of living according to the lusts of the old man. Living this way 
doesn't lead to fulfillment. That's the lie, right? That's the lie of Satan. You have to, you have to, you live to fulfill the lust of the flesh, but you're never truly fulfilled. You can never have enough money, enough power, enough sex, enough whatever to be fulfilled because you weren't made for those things. So you remain empty inside and spiral downward into more and more frustration, depravity, and depression. But when you're pursuing holiness, something similar happens. You begin to feel fulfilled. That emptiness goes away. You not only feel fulfilled, but you continually develop a greater and greater capacity for holiness. Instead of pursuing those things that never can satisfy, you're, you're continually satisfied by your Savior. And you desire more and more of his Spirit's filling. And you become more and more conformed to his image. Instead of a downward spiral, it's an upward walk becoming closer to him. Growing in holiness and feeling fulfilled because that's what you were made for. You were made for him and for his glory. So if I look back at chapter 6 of Romans, if I could summarize it, I would, I would say, if Paul could summarize it, you might say it this way. Stop sinning. It's not necessary. It's your choice. You can choose to live in sin or you can choose to live in righteousness and holiness. I'm going to stop there. As we close this week, um, the one thing I hope that you can see is that there are so many passages in the Bible that address living in holiness that we, all we have to do is look. We need to stop worrying about the future and focus on living today in the most possible holiness. I think we'll be more joyful and far less stressed. I wrote this right at the, right when I started, kind of when the Lord started leading me, I wrote this and I just, I wrote it down because I didn't want to forget what the Lord was telling me at that time. And, it, and I wrote, we need to stop thinking that we can't live in holiness. I'm just an old sinner and all that. Yeah, your old man is a sinner, but you have a new man. You have the spirit living inside of you. Stop making excuses and start living holy. That's what the Lord brought to me that when I first started. And, and that's what I'm hoping that, that, that you will get out of this as well. And, like I can, I can tell you, it's just, it's, it's, he's working in my heart. So let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklay.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.